0: Om Sri Ramaya Book 3 Aranyakanda Kanda or the book of the forest Om Namaha Rama was born of the womb of Kausalya Sita was born from the womb of the earth Rama had eyes like lotus petals, and Sita's gaze sparkled like the moon. Canto I. The Forest Dwellers. Though the forest looked dark and gloomy from the outside, yet, as they went into it, they were amazed to find that it was filled with ashramas in which many sages lived. The pleasant aroma of sandal and incense coming from the sacrificial fires, assailed their nostrils. They noticed that even the wild animals walked about freely, without fear. Dharma and Lachmana unstrung their bows, for they realized that they had nothing to fear in this place. There were lakes and flowers in plenty, and the trees were laden with fruits and nuts. The spiritual energy which permeated the place could be felt physically by all three of them. Rama said, fame had spread before him, and the sages welcomed him with all love and invited him to spend the night at one of the hermitages. Next morning, the three of them set out once again and penetrated deeper into the forest. It was only now that they understood why this forest had been called fearful. The ground was rough, truckless and deserted. The trees were twisted with lianas, trailing their tentacles down, ready to catch the throats of the unwary traveller. Bamboo thickets infested with snakes creaked in the dry, hot wind. Wild animals like tigers, wolves and bears roamed at large. The birds seemed to have been struck dumb, for they no longer chirped happily. As they had done at Chitrakoda. Even the lakes looked deep and forbidding, with dark waters in which no lotuses grew. Sita crept closer to her husband and timidly caught the end of his bark garment. He turned and gave her a reassuring look and held out his hand to her. She clung to his strong arm and shivered at the ominous sounds coming from the thicket. She knew, he knew that this was not the type of forest which he enjoyed and held her comfortably close. Sometimes he carried her across swamps and dying trees. They passed many heaps of white bones belonging to the hermits who had been killed and eaten by the cannibals. They proceeded cautiously with Lakshmana in front and Sita clinging to Rama coming after him. Lakshmana hacked his way through the fierce undergrowth of poisonous roots and vines. Suddenly an enormous figure sprang up in front of them and blocked their path. It held a trident in its hand, on which was impaled the carcasses of lions, deer, and an elephant, all dripping with blood. A long, red, hairy arm reached out and grabbed Sita around the waist and held her high above the branches of a tree, while she struggled and screamed. He then roared at them, Who are you who have been foolish enough to enter the dreaded Thundergar forest? You are dressed like rishis, yet walk around with weapons and a woman in your midst. My name is Viradha, and I live by eating those rishis, who are stupid enough to enter this forest. You shall provide my fare for today, and this woman I shall make my wife. Seeing his beloved trembling like a leaf in the vile hands of the monster, Rama lost his courage for a minute. Tears welled up in his eyes as he thought of the injustice he had wrought on the princess by bringing her here. But Lakshmana was undaunted. He sprang at him with upraised sword. But Viradha laughs scornfully and said, This is from this foolishness, O oh stupid mortal. Know that I have a boon by which I cannot be killed by any weapon. So leave this woman with me and i let you go unmolested. Rama was furious when he heard this and sent seven scorching arrows at the monster, which simply fell off his chest. He dropped Sita on the ground, and rushed at Rama with trident upraised. The latter split the trident in two, and Virada lifted both brothers on his shoulders and marched off into the forest, leaving Sita bereft. She sobbed loudly and requested the monster to take her and leave her beloved alone. Rama and Lakshmana proceeded to chop off the monster's arms. Thus maimed, he fell to the ground. But they were unable to kill him. At last Rama said, Let us strangle him and bury him. That's the only way he can be killed. As soon as he heard these words, Viradha said, Ah, now I know who you are. You are Rama. You are the one who has been ordained to rescue me from this curse. I am actually a Gandharva who has been cursed by Gukubera. Please hurry up and bury me. Then I can leave this dreadful body and regain my own form. After burying me, you should proceed to the hermitage of the great sage, Sharabhanga, and take his blessings. Rama and Lakshmana did as he had told them, and the Gandharva was released from his curse and returned to his heavenly abode. The shades of night were falling by now, so Rama took Sita's hand in his, so that she would not be frightened she forgot her fatigue and they hurried towards the ashrama they saw a divine chariot waiting outside the ashrama they waited outside and soon saw indra the king of the gods coming out of the hermitage and leaving in the golden chariot the old sage was waiting for their coming with heart filled with joy In fact, it is said that he had refused Indra's offer to take him bodily to heaven, for he did not want to leave this earth without having a glimpse of the Lord in the form of Rama. He asked Rama to bless him with his loving gaze while he shed his mortal frame and entered the blazing fire. The next day, all the rishis living in the neighborhood came with a supplication to Rama, They showed him the heap of bleached bones and told him that it belonged to the hermits who had been killed and eaten by the Rakshasas. They begged him to rescue them from this constant threat of these creatures. Dharma gave his assurance that he would kill the Rakshasas and enable them to carry on their austerities in peace. After this, the three of them proceeded to the ashrama of the sage Hudikshana who was also expecting them having known of their coming through his intuitive powers he invited them to stay there as long as they liked but the three of them decided to proceed and check on all the other ashramas in the forest as they had promised the sages after a good night's rest they set out once again penetrating deeper and deeper into the forest As they walked on, Sita spoke gently to her husband. My Lord, she said, for a long time I have been wondering about the meaning of the word dharma. It is not always easy to know what one's dharma is. To act without swerving even a hair's breadth from it is possible only for one who is absolutely without desire. I'm frightened, my Lord of the possible consequences of your promise to the Ashramites, to protect them from the Rakshasas. They have done you no wrong, yet you are prepared to kill them. Is this not against the dictates of Dharma? I do not think we should go further into this forest. If you see some Rakshasas, your fingers will itch to string your bow, for that is the duty of a Kshatriya. But now you have adopted the garb of a hermit, Don't you think you should live like one? Forgive me for presuming to speak to you like this, for I know you are the very soul of dharma. It's only my fear of the unknown that has has prompted me to speak. For Sita, little did she realize that what she spoke was but the truth, and she herself was going to be victimized for Rama's killing of the Rakshasas. Rama was pleased to hear this discourse on dharma by his dutiful wife. He replied lovingly to her, O Janaki, you are the daughter of Janaka, one of the wisest men of the age. It is not surprising, therefore, that you should know all the nuances of dharma. But consider the predicament of these sages, my love. They have abandoned all worldly pleasures only for the sake of tapas. By their tapas the country itself gets purified. All negativity will be cleared. At present they are unable to perform their austerities due to the harassment of the Rakshasas. They have begged me to save them and since I am their king and a kshatriya, don't you think it is my duty to protect them? Even if they had not requested me, it would have been my duty to do so. Now, of course, after having given my word, I cannot dream of breaking it. I know well that it is only your wifely concern for me that has made you speak as you did, and I thank you for it. But, my dear, I cannot stand by and see these poor ascetics being devoured by these cannibals, even if it brings their wrath on my head. Thus saying, Rama walked ahead with Janaki following and Lakshmana in the rear. Thus ends the first canto called the forest dwellers of the Kanda, in the glorious Ramayana of the sage Vazmidi. Hari Om Tatsas. Rama asks, Where does the Lord dwell and how can I reach him? Vasihta replies, he who has been described as the Lord is not very far. He is a pure intelligence dwelling in the body. He is the universe, though the universe is not he. From the yoga, or Rama's chest is smeared with sandal paste, Sita's breast with saffron powder. His hand is splendid with the bow and hers with the lotus. Canto 2. Panchavati Thus months and years passed by in happy companionship as the three of them wandered in the forest of Dandaga, going from ashrama to ashrama. Everywhere they were welcomed with delight, for Rama's fame had spread to all the far corners of Bharata and everyone longed for a chance to see him and give him hospitality. At some places they stayed for six months, at others a few days, and sometimes even a year. Fortunately, they were not accosted by rachasas at any of these places. Sita forgot her fears and wandered happily behind her husband, enthralled by the beauty of the peaks, the lakes, the birds and the animals. She would exclaim in delight at many of the small things which had escaped the notice of Rama and Lakshmana. She would pick a twig here and a leaf there and put a flower in her hair. She would peer curiously into the nest of a small bird and run after the deer. The beauties of nature were always a delight to her and she did not pay heed to the hardships which such a life would naturally have had nor did she miss the sophistication of a palace life. As she had told Anasuya even the most luxurious life would have been a torture to her without the presence of her beloved husband. To her Nothing was as wonderful as walking hand in hand with her beloved, lying in the sun on the mountain tops with him beside her, allowing him to place a flower garland in her hair, or else just sitting beside him, listening to his voice. Lakshmana, too, never seemed to miss his own wife and derived maximum joy from serving the two of them. One day Rama had gone to the forest for hunting and Lakshmana had gone to collect firewood, leaving Sita alone. It was getting dark and cold, and she began to feel frightened, so she decided to go after Rama. It was the first time she had ventured into the dark forest alone, and she kept tripping over to roots and getting caught in brambles. She walked on and on, crying, ''Oh Rama, Rama, where are you?'' Soon tears started rolling down her cheeks and falling to the ground. She heeded them not and walked on. At last she heard his answering call and saw him resting beneath a tree. She ran towards him and was caught in a fierce embrace. Why did you come here, my darling, he asked, holding her close. It was getting so late, and I did not find you, and I felt so frightened, she whispered into his broad chest where her face was smothered. Wasn't Lakshmana there to keep you company? he asked. I had particularly told him never to leave you alone. He had gone to bring firewood, and I could not bear to be alone any longer. He did not have the heart to scold her, and they started to walk back home. But the way was long, and Sita was weary. Seeing her distress. Rama took, him, took her in his arms as one would a baby and strode along while her arms entwined themselves round his neck. It was a hot summer night and drops of perspiration rolled down his thighs to the ground. At last they reached the ashrama where Lakshmana was anxiously awaiting their arrival. Rama chided him gently for having left Sita alone. Next week Sita wanted to go back along the path they had taken since that was her first and perhaps only solo venture into the forest. As they walked hand in hand, they noticed that some strange new saplings had grown up in those spots where Sita's tears had dropped, and another type of saplings where Rama's drops of perspiration had fallen. Within a few months, the saplings had grown into bushes, and Sita was delighted to find that one set of trees had strange-looking green fruit and the other had reddish-colored fruit. Both the types tasted delicious. They had never seen such fruit before, so Rama laughingly told Sita, these green fruits shall henceforth be known as Sita-pal. Then Sita retorted that the reddish fruit should henceforth be known as Rampal. To this day These roots are found in India and are called by those very names. Ten years thus flew by without any of them feeling the weight of them. However, to poor Bharata, residing at Nantigrama, those ten years were like ten eons, for the burden of kingship lay heavily on his shoulders, and he did not have the exhilarating presence of Rama to keep up his spirits. Now Rama remembered his promise to Sudikshina to visit his ashrama once again. So they returned to that place. The sage was very happy to see them. Rama requested him to direct them to the ashrama of the famous sage known as Agastya. Sudikshina gave them directions and the next morning the three of them set out to pay their obeisance to him. It was the eleventh year of their exile that they crossed the Windya hills and walked down its southern slopes. They first came to the hermitage of Agastya's brother, who told them many stories of Agastya's wonderful exploits. Agastya was a very small made man, and he had been doing tapas up in the Himalayas. At one time, the Windia hills became jealous of the Himalayas and began to grow so high that none could cross it. They blocked even the passage of the rain-bearing clouds to the north. Agastya came from the Himalayas and requested the Vindya hills to allow him passage to go south. They bowed their head low and allowed him to pass. He never went back north anymore and the Vindya is still waiting with bowed head for him to return. Agastya also subdued the might of the two demon brothers called Watapi and Ilvala. After staying the night with Agastya's brother and listening to all these stories, they proceeded to their goal. All of them were excited at the prospect of meeting this eminent sage about whom they had heard so much. As they neared the ashrama, they noticed that the deer were very tame and the bark garments of the ascetics were drying in the sun and perfume was arising from the sacrificial fires and pervaded the air Rama told Lakshmana to go and announce their arrival Lakshmana did as he was told Agastya was apparently expecting them and told his disciple to bring them in immediately though the sage was of small build he was aglow with the fire of intense tapasya and as he came towards them they were not even aware of his small stature he welcomed them with great cordiality and after finishing the fire ceremony, he gave them food and then presented Rama with many divine weapons given to him by the gods. The bow of Lord Narayana, the inexhaustible quiver of arrows given by Indra, and the sword with a silver scabbard which Narayana had used to fight the demons. With all humility, Rama accepted the wonderful gifts though he did not know what use they would be to him in this forest life. Agastya, however, knew that the time was fast approaching when Rama would need all his weapons. He said, O Rama, the time of your exile is drawing to a close, and your hard times in the forest will soon be over. May you be able to return with all glory and take up the reins of the kingdom once again. Rama replied, O holy one, our life in the forest, far from being unpleasant, has actually been a very happy time for all of us. We have delighted in the freedom and informality of our life here and been blessed by our contact with great sages like you and charmed by the simplicity of life in all the ashramas. But there is one thing I would like to ask you. Could you please let me know of a suitable place where we could stay for the remainder of our exile. It should be beautiful, with a river and flowering shrubs, so that my wife will be happy, yet it should not be crowded. Agastya said, Rama, it is right indeed that you should always think of your wife's happiness. For very few women would have been ready to forego their comfort and pleasures, to go forth into the forest with their husband. Sitar is indeed an exemplary wife, and you should take great care of her. You have been brought into this forest in order to rid the places of the Rakshasas, the night wanderers who have made it their home. There is a place not far from here called Panchavati. Fruits and roots are in abundance there. There is plenty of water, and deer can be seen bounding all over the place. I am sure Sita will be delighted with that spot. You can make an ashrama over there and live happily. There's time for your return. I would have asked you to remain with me till your exile is over, but I can see that there are many things left for you to do, and Panchavati is the place from where these will be accomplished. Taking leave of the great sage, the three of them followed his directions and soon came to the beautiful grove known as Panchavati. On the way they noticed an enormous eagle perched on the very tree which Agastya had given them as a lawn, landmark. The bird was greatly excited at seeing them and introduced himself as Jatayu. He said he had been a friend of Dasharatha. He also had a brother called Sampati whom he had not seen for many years. He promised to live with them and guard them and give warning of the approach of dark And wild animals. Rama was delighted to hear this and Jatayu led the way. Panchavati was a wonderful place surrounded by mountain peaks and filled with fruit-laden trees and flowers. The sound of the river Godavari close by and the gurgle of the stream nearby delightful to the ears. Having chosen a level spot close to the stream With five flowering trees, Champaka, Parijata, Ashoka, Kadamba and Sandal, Rama requested Lakshmana to build a small cottage for them. Lakshmana first plucked some flowers and offered them to the gods for protection and requested them to give him leave to build on that terrain. Then he built a beautiful cottage with twigs and wattle and grass roots and invited Rama and Sita to enter. They were charmed to see the place. He had made separate partitions for eating, sleeping and puja. Everything was made to look fresh and beautiful, with an eye to utility as well. Rama laughingly asked him, My child, where did you learn the art of construction? I can't remember ever having learnt anything like this from our tutors at the Gurukula. Lakshmana answered, When love fills the heart, there is no task which is onerous or difficult. The magic of love overcomes all difficulties and gives all knowledge. Rama's eyes filled with tears as he embraced him and said, My dearest brother, how can I ever repay you for the loving service you have rendered to me all these years? My life during this exile would have been unbearable, but for your constant and vigilant care and attention. The three of them spent a long time in that beautiful spot. Sometimes Jatai would join them and narrate tales of their father, and they would talk of their past life in the palace, which felt like a dream. Jatai was always on guard against wild beasts and Jachshisal, and would shriek wildly if any beast of Prey came within fifty yards of the place. Once, on a misty autumn morn, when the brothers were taking their bath in the Godavari, Lakshmana said, I don't know why, but today my mind is filled with thoughts of our dear brother, Bharata, who must be also taking his bath in the cold waters of the Sarayu, and perhaps thinking of us. What a noble soul he is, Instead of enjoying the pleasures of palace life, he is living like a hermit in Nandigrama in order to show his love and respect for you. First thing, I fear he does not know the happiness that I enjoy, for he is denied the felicity of your company. How is it that such a noble soul was born in the womb of such a wicked woman like Kaikeyi? Rama's eyes filled with tears as he replied, My child, Speak more to me about our glorious brother, Bharata, but do not let me hear you speak ill of our mother. After all, she was only a tool of fate. I too cannot get rid of the memory of Bharata's tear-filled eyes as he pleaded with me to return with him. I can still see him placing my footwear on his head and returning with tears streaming down his eyes. How can I forget that scene? Very often it haunts me in the night. I fear that I am fated to bring unhappiness to those I love. These were indeed prophetic words which Rama spoke. Thus the three of them spent many blissful days at Panchavati, each doing, doing his allotted task, offering their daily prayers and enjoying the beauty of nature. Sita spent the happiest years of her life here. She would roam through the forest with Rama, clinging to his hands while he plucked flowers for her. She would sit, sit still while he braided her hair and placed flowers in it. They would lie close to each other on the hilltops, watching the stars above. One day when they were walking hand in hand, Rama lifted up his hand to show her something and inadvertently wiped off the vermilion mark on her forehead. He was most apologetic and searched for a red stone which he crushed into powder and applied it once more with great forehead, with great care on her forehead and then he smeared the rest of the powder on her cheek in order to tease her. Sometimes if a stream was too deep he would carry her in his arms and when they reached the other bank she would refuse to get down and he would pretend to throw her into the sky and she would laugh and nestle closer to him. She was in a blissful dream all the time, and Rama too found great happiness in the beauty of nature, as well as the beauty of his charming bride and the companionship of his brother. Little did they realize that the time was inexorably coming close for the purpose of his avatara to be fulfilled and the reason for his exile to be completed. Thus ends the second canto called Panchavati of the Aranyakanda in the glorious Ramayana of the sage Valkniji. Hari Om, that says. says, the world creation is not the action of ignorance but the action of intelligence. But then the question arises, why will an intelligent being indulge in such futile actions. Hence it is clear that the world is an appearance and not a real existence. From the Yoga Vasish.